say good morning to each one of you. You seem a little bit like home folks to us because we see you over at the Bible school quite a bit over the years as we come out here, our annual teaching experience here at Maranatha Bible School. Good to be with you. Trust that the Lord will speak to us through his word this morning. Whose opinion is important to you? The title of the message this morning is Whose Opinion Matters? I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to be looking at the first five verses for our text this morning. I read the story of a young man who had trained to be a concert pianist. He had spent many months in preparation and training, and his first appearance since his training was through, he was giving a concert, and the audience uh, were amazed at his talent and how he had how he had done. They they were they gave him a standing ovation at the end of his performance. And backstage after the performance, the young man's manager said, they want you to go back out there. They want an encore. And the uh, young man was strangely dejected. He said, I'm not going back out. I don't want to go back out. And the, man, the manager said, well, why? Look at them. They're, they're really happy with you. They're really cheering. They're going on and on. And uh, he, the young man said, not all of them are. He said, I want you to go peek through the curtain and look up on the balcony there. So the, his manager went and looked out in the, up in the balcony. There was an old man up there, and he wasn't cheering. He was just sitting there. And he, he went back to the young man. He says, yeah, but that's just one old man. He said, yeah, but he was my teacher through school. And that's all that matters. It didn't matter what the crowd thought. Only one opinion mattered. Only one man in that multitude was the one that he wanted to please, his teacher. And the premise for the message this morning is that we are wired to please one person in our experience. We are designed to please our Creator. That's the way we were made. We were made to please the one who made us. That's the role we're designed for. That's where we shine. And sadly, we lose sight of that in our desire to get the applause of the crowd around us. Jesus is our example in this regard. He says in John 8:29, He that has sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Jesus One of Jesus' greatest moments was when he was baptized. He went down to John, where John the Baptist was baptizing at the Jordan River. And when he went in there and was baptized, he came up out of the water. And there was this voice that came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And I think that was his highlight of his of his experience on earth. He was pleasing his father. It didn't matter what the crowd was doing. He was okay with that. 
But he heard, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. And that, you know, that's an important reminder for us as approval junkies. I don't know if you're there with me, but I, I like to be approved. I like people to like me. I like people to approve of what I'm doing. That makes me feel good because uh, I like that. And, and I, it's like I'm taking my ticket out there. And Would you stamp this ticket for me, please? Would you stamp this ticket? Would you please stamp this ticket that I'm approved? That I am doing well? Somebody call it the please disease. But you know, there's never enough applause. There's never enough applause for us from people. It can never be enough. There's never enough approval. And somewhere in all that pleasing, you lose yourself and you lose the pleasure of the only one who can satisfy your heart. So who are you trying to please? What is it that you're doing? Maybe it's your boss, your peers, your neighbor. Maybe there's someone that's really important to you that you spend your life trying to gain their approval. But their rewards don't hold a candle to his the early church leader Stephen is someone who suffered the disapproval of the crowds. He had, he had offended them and they were angry at him. They were screaming at him. They were throwing things at him. But the Bible says Stephen, Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looked up to heaven for his blessing and a, a kind of a little unusual twist there. It says that, that Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. He wasn't sitting where he normally does. He's normally sitting on the right hand of God. But this time he was standing and I think he was clapping. He was, he was, he was, he was approving what Stephen was doing. And Stephen looked up there and... It, it was an encouragement to him. And I hope that's where we're looking for our approval. You know, we're constantly being evaluated by people. But is that the most important evaluation that we seek? Whose opinion is the most important? Is it the people around us? Is it our own opinion or is it God's opinion? As parents, we bring, we are exhorted in Scripture to bring up our children in the fear of God. Those that are in authority in our lives are the one whose opinions should count to us. And we teach by word and example that God is the one who matters the most to us. Can we as parents foster within our children a real healthy fear of the one who is absolutely the most important, the greatest authority in their lives? This context of the passage that we want to use for a text this morning, uh, Paul was talking about the evaluation of church leaders. Are they servants of Christ? Are they faithful stewards? And I think we can broaden that application to us, to all of us. If we are faithful to God and the things that He asks of us, then we don't have to worry so much about the opinions of others. Our focus is on God and His opinion of us. There are 
in our country different levels of, of courts. I don't know if you've gone into courthouses much or been going around to the various uh, offices or parts of that building. I have. I work in them somewhat. And, uh, and there's a label over here. This is the circuit court. Over here is the small claims court or whatever. And there are certain different levels of court. And if you were to go to the top level in this country, it would, of course, be the Supreme Court. And they are the ones who have the greatest authority, the greatest judgment. Who is my judge? Whose evaluation is the most important to me? I want to look at three courts this morning that pass judgment on us. Three courts and the different levels that they have and the different importance that they should have to us. Let's read our text. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 5. You can follow along. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who, will both, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Three courts of opinion are here. The court of public opinion is the first one. Second one is the court of self-evaluation. And the third one is the Supreme Court, which is God. I want to look at them in that order today. First, it's the court of public opinion. He says in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. Paul expressed his opinion, his evaluation of the court of public opinion. And the court of public opinion is always in session. It's always there. Public opinion is always there. As we go about our life, there's always the opinion of people around us, what they think of what we're doing. People are always evaluating others. And sometimes I catch myself evaluating people way too much. I'm always constantly judging what they're doing in, in the way I would see it. People are admiring sometimes, they, or they're critical, or they're indifferent. This is normal human behavior. Everybody contributes to public opinion. Every person, every family, every church, every community. Christianity as a whole, the culture around us, the American culture. And it's easy to become unconsciously a slave to what people think. It is easy to become a slave to public opinion. It's said of our former president, uh, Mr. Clinton, that he would in fact, and this is not literally true, but he would stick his finger up and see which way the wind was blowing before he would come up with his policy. Bertrand Russell 
quote, one should respect public opinion insofar as it is necessary to avoid starvation and keep out of prison. But anything that goes beyond this voluntary submission to an, is voluntary submission to an unnecessary tyranny. He was pretty far on one side there. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. I, you don't need to turn to them. I'll just read them. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe." The fear of man bringeth a trap. 1 Corinthians 4:3, the one we just read, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yeah, judge not mine own self. And what Paul is saying is that it's a small thing by comparison. Public opinion is a small thing. It matters, but not so much. And that's where I'd like to come out on this issue of the, the public opinion, the court of public opinion. It matters what people think. Sure it does. And, uh, but it should not be a large part of the way, the decision making that we use for how we live. It's not one of our larger concerns. Alexander McLaren wrote a, a large commentary which I recently purchased. He was a great Scottish theologian and very profound in places. He said, There is a regard to man's judgment which is separated by the very thinnest partition from hypocrisy. Our regard for man's judgment is separated by a very thin partition from hypocrisy. He goes on, there is a very shadowy distinction between the man who, consciously or unconsciously, does a thing with an eye to what people may say about it, and the man who pretends to be what he is not for the sake of the reputation that he may thereby win. What Alexander McLaren is saying that there is a small, just a small, gap between the person who is so conscious of people's opinion of them and the person who lives the life of a hypocrite. Because one tends to foster the other. If I'm so concerned about what people think of me, I tend to want to project something that I'm not in order to win their approval. I so badly want to please people that I pretend to be something that I'm not. Can you, can you see that? There's a real danger to become a hypocrite. And people do some unusual things to try to win the approval of those around them to gain, to please people. I read the story, and you've probably heard it also, of a man and his grandson walking down the road leading a donkey. He met a man who said, how foolish for you to be walking. One of you should be riding the donkey. So the man put his grandson on the animal. The next traveler they met frowned and said, how dreadful for a strong boy to be riding while an old man walks. So the boy climbed off the donkey and his grandfather climbed on. The next person they met said, I just can't believe a grown man would ride and make a little boy walk. So the man pulled the boy up and they rode the donkey together. That is, until they met another man who said, I never saw anything so cruel in all my life. Two human beings riding on one poor, defenseless donkey. Down the road a ways, they met a couple of men. 
After they passed, one of the men turned to the other and said, Did you ever before see two fools carrying a donkey? I believe that we should care what people think. We should. Um, we don't want to turn anyone away from Christ by our behavior, by being obnoxious. We can do that. We don't want to offend people in a way that would turn people from Christ. And also, we are a body of Christ. We are a body, and we believe in body life as Christians. We believe that we should be sensitive to our brothers and our sisters in, our, in the church. It's important. But we cannot so be so concerned about what everybody thinks of us that it rules our life. It cannot be the highest court of opinion in our life. Jesus taught us whose opinion should be the most important to us. He says in John 5, How can we believe which receive honor from one from another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Then in John 12, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We just can't please everyone. Paul wrote in Galatians 1, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. People's opinion is often ill-informed. People can't judge us because they don't know the motives of our heart. People can't see down inside of us. I may be judged, for instance, that I've done a great job at something. Somebody over there teaching Bible, they said, oh, great class. Oh, you're, you're, you're great. And inside, I'm, I'm really not that great. I may be doing something out of a selfish motive or something like that. Just because people think well of me doesn't mean that I should put my, pull my arm out of its socket to pat myself on the back. It's not necessarily an accurate judgment that people make. And Job, who we looked at this morning, is an example of the different way we should look at man's opinion versus God's. Job rejected the opinions of his fellows. They condemned him because they didn't know. But later on in the book, when God expressed his opinion, God expressed his opinion, and showed his awesome power and glory, the scriptures tell us that Job abhorred himself and repented in dust and ashes. Job recognized whose opinion was most important. And our relationship with Jesus Christ should be such that the approval of man pales in comparison before him. I receive my power from him. My stimulus comes from him. My rewards come from him. I receive my greatest approval from Christ. The court of public opinion. Are you a slave to that public opinion? Those around us. I invite you to, as I do myself, to check on that. Where on the courts of that rule our lives, does the court of public opinion reside? Is it, in fact, up on top? This is the thing that I try to do is to please people. 
I think we need to re-tier re that, reorganize that on a different level. It needs to be there. It, needs, it is important what people think, but it should be on the bottom, way toward the bottom of, the, of our value. The next level of judgment is that of self-evaluation. How do I evaluate myself? Some of you have a good self-image. Some of you have a ac fairly accurate self-image. Others of you have a poor self-image. You are hard on yourself, or maybe you are too easy on yourself. The court of self-evaluation. Paul says, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet I am not, here, not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. I think what Paul is saying here and what I want to convey to us this morning is that we can't totally trust a self-evaluation, can we? Can we trust our own evaluation of ourselves? Maybe not. It may not be all that accurate. We've been given a conscience from God. It's a gift from God. It monitors our behavior. It stands in judgments of motives, thoughts, and actions. Romans 2 verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Paul is saying to the Romans that their conscience of those who didn't have the law, the Gentiles, was a... a, a uh, regulator for them and was a help in, in, in living rightly. Paul had a clear conscience. That was a big goal of Paul's is to have a clear conscience. He says in this passage, our text this morning, that he didn't know that there was anything there that was wrong. He realized, as we should, that it is not our conscience who will condemn or acquit us in the end. There is an even higher court than our conscience. Paul writes about a clear conscience. Again, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures throughout the New Testament. It says, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Paul's Exercise, or one of his priorities in his life was to have a clear conscience. Second Corinthians 1, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you were. 1 Timothy 3, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not giving too much wine, not greedy or filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. I don't know what you think about your conscience. I think it, uh, it is good to evaluate ourselves periodically. Galatians 6 says, If man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work. And then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Second Corinthians 13, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. One of the things that 
we need to learn early on is that our conscience has to be constantly calibrated. I think you know most of you what calibration is. When we take some instrument of measurement and we, we, we put it up alongside something that is a known thing, a, a standard of some type. And when we take that instrument and, and calibrate it, we're actually taking it and, and tweaking it so that its reading is in fact accurate. Something we need to do when we're in some type of industry that involves a lot of measurements. Um, our conscience must be calibrated. I think you learned that earlier. Some of you have a very sensitive conscience. And I won't ask for a raise of hands. We have one young man over there at the Bible school right now. He is plagued with an oversensitive conscience. I watched that young man throughout the class that I'm teaching right now. He is, he is where I was at one time. A very, very sensitive conscience. And he's constantly being plagued by it. And am I doing right? Am I not? There are others there, and I haven't really identified them, who don't have a conscience that is calibrated very well. In the other extreme, they need to learn to calibrate that a little more. But our conscience is there. It's the set twinge that we get. I've experienced it many times. Experienced it last night. I realized, oh, Goodness, I shouldn't have said that to somebody. That wasn't very nice. Our conscience is there that we always there to help judges. It's a tool of judgment. It's one of the evidences that we did not come from monkeys. Because from all we can tell, monkeys don't have consciences that plague them. That awareness of right and wrong. Paul said that he persecuted the church in ignorance. He thought he was doing the right thing. His conscience needed to be shown the right way. The scripture tells of people who will persecute and kill us thinking they are doing God service. Lack of obedience brings dullness to our conscience. Our conscience can become seared and dull if we constantly disobey what it tells us. It's like walking over gravel with bare feet. If you wear shoes all the time and then you get out there in the summertime and you walk on the gravel, it hurts your feet. But if you keep doing it, your feet get tough and it no longer hurts. That's what, like a conscience that is subject to disobedience in our lives. Tim Woodruff, a quote from Tim Woodruff, he says, We live in a world that has shaped our priorities skewed our perspectives and taught us what to value. Rather than permitting God to challenge these values, to confront and replace them, a great deal of energy is expended in the attempt to win God's approval and support of the values that God actually detests. We want God to baptize our standard of living, our pursuit of financial security, and our accumulation of money. We want his approval of larger houses, larger bank accounts, large credit card limits. We want him to look at our consumer culture, our capitalistic dreams, and pronounce it is good. It is all theological smoke and mirrors, imposing on God a value system that is foreign to his very nature. It is culture dictating the shape of faith, and in this we are culture's collaborators. How calibrated 
is your conscience. What is the standard that we put our conscience up against? It's the Word of God, isn't it? Absolutely. It's God's Spirit speaking to us and reminding us of what the Word is. Our conscience needs to be calibrated constantly by the Word, by going meeting together as we are today and in, 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 in getting around the Word. And once again, our needle, which has been drifting off a little bit, has been hanging down a little bit. It needs to be... You've got to tweak that to bring it back up to where the Word is. Our conscience is so valuable as a court of judgment, but it has to be calibrated. I guess that's the bottom line. We need to use our conscience. We dare not, we dare not continually override our conscience because it is a valuable tool for judgment. But it, it must be calibrated. It's a God-designed level of judgment. We need to keep it sharp. Paul didn't totally trust his own conscience. He knew that even our conscience is not totally without error. And he realized that there's only one court that matters in the end, and that is the Supreme Court of God's judgment. And I want to look at that. I want to look at that next. The Supreme Court. There was the court of public opinion, which we consider to be the lowest court. It's like small, small claims court. It's down on the bottom. It's valuable, it's important, but it is down on the bottom. And then it's the court of self-evaluation, our conscience. That's the next level. The top level, of course, is the Supreme Court, which is God. He says in verse 4 of our text, For I know nothing by myself, yet, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Second Timothy two verse fifteen says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Zephaniah 3.16 In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will, he will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Speaking of God's judgment of us when he is pleased with us. God is the supreme court. George Mueller, and again you'd probably consider him radical in this opinion, but George Mueller was a great man of faith. We know his story many times. We've heard it. George Mueller said the following. He says, what is the secret of your... Someone asked, what is the secret of your service for God? Mueller's response. There was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his tastes and will... Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then I have studied to show myself approved only to God. We belong to God and are responsible to Him because He made us and we belong to Him. Above all, we need to seek His approval. What does God think of what we have done or will do in the future? Is God pleased? Does He approve? That needs to be our ultimate concern. 
It needs to be the driving force in our decisions. What does God think of this? How will he rule in his official opinion? We are, as it were, in a great arena. Around us are many witnesses to what we do and how we fight the fight. Our own conscience is either blessing what we do or is troubling us. There is just one, one authority that matters ultimately, and that is God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing ascender of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And God makes no mistake. His judgment is without mistake. I uh, work, as I mentioned earlier, in, in a courthouse sometimes. I, I'm involved with service, servicing there. And I've gone back into the judges' chambers if there's an issue back there. And I noticed that back there, there is a huge library, a good-sized library, and in our state it says the Code of Virginia. All down over the books there's a code. There is, this is the code. This is the law. And what's kind of surprising to me, we think a judge should be very, very smart and should know all this stuff. But he doesn't. Either that or he's forgotten it. He got his law degree, sure enough. He passed the bar exam. But they forget, or maybe they didn't know. Maybe they, they were, did fairly well on their tests. I don't know. But during the court case, he will adjourn to his chambers sometimes. And then he will go back to his library and he'll, he'll pull down these, these, uh, these laws and we'll go over them. Our God is not that way. His opinion, his judgment is absolutely accurate because he knows. He can see right down into, into my heart. He can see right into the depths of why I'm doing something. Is, is Sam doing this because he's selfish? Is Sam doing this to gain the recognition of those around him? Is he doing this, this thing which apparently is very nice and very good out of a, a wrong motive. You can't hide anything from God. Absolutely not. We can, we, can, we can fool people sometimes. And we can put on a very good and respectable front to the people around us. Our fellow church members, our fellow family members even. Now family members are more perceptive especially if they're like, like mine are. They're very perceptive. And they, sometimes we don't fool them so easily. But we can fool people. God, we can't. Matthew 20, 10, 27 says, What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? 
and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not ye not therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. God is the ultimate judge. Awesome in holiness. God also cares about whether we lose a hair from our head. The God who will judge is also our Heavenly Father. There's a fear of God that must be a part of our lives and our experience. He is the highest court. He will make the judgment that determines our future. Wrap this message up this morning. Whose opinion will rule your life? That is the question that I'm asking. Whose opinion will rule the way you live? People around you, they do matter, and their opinion, especially if they are fellow believers, is important, but is not but not as much as a higher level. Your own conscience, you need a clear conscience. But it is also not the final authority. The judge to whom you will ultimately answer is the Supreme Court. And will you receive in the end? The verdict from the one who matters most, welcome home, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's kneel to pray. Our Father God, we're approaching your throne in prayer here at the end of this service. You've spoken to us through your word. We reverence that. We respect that. Dear God, I thank you that you know everything. There is nothing hid from your, hidden from your sight. You know what I did this morning. You know what I didn't do this morning. And you have passed accurate judgment on that. You are a holy God. You're an awesome God. You are without sin and without partiality. Your justice is amazing. Along with that, God, I thank you that you are merciful and that you know my weakness and continue to want to reach out to me and to bless my life and each one here. I pray, God, that you would foster within our hearts and within our lives a consciousness of you. I pray for each one here and for myself that we would seek to please you above all else in what we do and what we say. And that we would be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit as it works through our conscience. Direct us further now. We thank you for what, you're, what you've done and will do in our lives. We ask a blessing on this church fellowship. In Christ's name, amen.